Welcome to the Lifehouse Podcast. Our aim is that together we can love God, love others as we walk each step with Christ. We hope you find this message practical, encouraging and life-giving. Be blessed. In 2003, uh, I was single. And uh, then on January the 11th, something amazing happened. And uh, I stood in this room and uh, confessed and professed my undying love to someone who was called Holly Byers. And she became Holly Betcher. And she's a bit sick today. She's at home on the live feed. There she is. She can see me. I can't see her. And, uh, and a lot of things changed. Before we got married, I was single and I lived in a, in a shed. And then after we got married, we lived in a caravan. And when Holly moved in, uh, let's just say that there were some different expectations that occurred. There was uh, some different expectations around uh, cleaning, around my personal hygiene. There were some different expectations that, that came with uh, the food that we would eat. And, and so we, we had to kind of like work these things out. There were, there were these two people that had different backgrounds and different ideas coming together. I remember this time, Holly would work on Saturdays and, and she would always do the cooking. And I remember she said to me, Mark, it'd be great if one day you cooked tea. And I thought, oh, well, okay, I I can do that. I can cook tea. Now, just for those of you that don't know my wife, well, she's an amazing cook. Like she's phenomenal, and she's she's been like that since day dot. I don't know how she learned it because she didn't really cook at home that much. But it's just like a natural thing. As soon as she started putting her hand to it, she just could do it. And so I thought, okay, all right, well. We'll see what we can do. So she went to, to work and I, I started to think, I remember when Holly cooked Indian food. I remember how good it was. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'll do. And then I sat there and I thought a bit longer about it and I, I realised that I had no idea how to cook Indian food. So I thought, I know what I'll do. So I went to uh, Woolworths and I bought some chicken and I bought the jar, you know, the jar of Indian food that you can get where you just, you don't have to really know how to make it from like all the herbs and spices. You just pour it on, right? I thought, yeah, yeah, this will be great. This will be great. So I got back home and, you know, I was getting close to the time Holly's going to be home. And I got the, the chicken and you put it in the pan and you sear it. And then I put the jar on top and I looked at it and I thought, yep, that's great. And then I realized, this is nowhere near good enough. This, Holly's going to be disappointed if she thinks I've had the whole day to prepare this beautiful meal and all I've done is tipped a jar of stuff on some chicken. I'm like, oh, this, she's going to be disappointed. It's not going to live up to her expectations. I'm like, what can I do? Then, I'm, then it dawned on me, I know what I can do. So I got to the cupboard, right? And I got out all the herbs and spices that I thought were probably in this kind of meal. And I just kind of tipped them around on the bench. 
just to make it look like I'd made it from scratch, right? And I kind of made a bit of a mess. I got the cutting board out and I just kind of, I got the dishes and I dirtied them with some of the food and I piled them up on the sink and I got... I got the jar and I took it outside to the outside bin and hid it under all the rubbish so she wouldn't see it in the, in the bin. I can see some of you thinking, he's so deceptive. You're so judgy, you, you mob. As if you've never told a lie or... So... So I did that and, you know, and, and Holly got home and she saw the mess and she smelt the cooking and she, she thought, oh, this is a, this, I've got the perfect husband. He's been slaving all day over this meal. Oh, it's delicious, she said. And I, actually, to be honest, I don't know if I've ever told her that. So, <laughs> Holly, to be honest, I never did it again. That was only did it once. And uh, from then on, I kind of pretty much stuck to barbecues because <laughs> I realized that cooking is not really my thing. But this is the kind of place we find the Roman church at the start of Romans, okay? There's these two groups of people that have been thrust together and all these different expectations. They're trying their best to kind of work it out and, and work out what the other person wants. And they're kind of stuck because they have their bit of history. They understand God their way and they're trying to make it fit. And they're kind of missing the mark. So this is the scene that we find. find it. We got the, the Roman church was planted, if I could have that slide up. So this is kind of what happened. The end of Acts happened. The, the disciples went out throughout Europe and uh, the Middle East and started planting churches. So the church of Rome was planted. And not long after it was planted, it was doing really good. It was growing. But then the emperor expelled the Jews from Rome and, he, and, he, and all, the, all the Jews had to leave. Uh, and so they kind of went back to their different places and, and they grew their faith separately. And then after five years, they were allowed back. And this is kind of what we found. Imagine like uh, two people from different backgrounds coming together and trying to make things work. But in those five years, they'd drifted apart. They'd grown differently. And so when, when we look at the start of Romans... This is what we find, a church divided with, with different people, with different backgrounds and different understanding of the gospel. If you imagine like a little plant that's planted with care and watered and it starts to grow, it starts to bear fruit and then someone comes along and pulls it apart and plants one bit in one pot and another bit in another pot and they grow separately for a period of time and then trying to bring them back together and graft them together. It was, it was a, a tumultuous time in church history. And there was a lot of arguing. They both thought they were better in God's eyes. They thought their way and their style of church was the way to do it. So they both thought they were better in God's eyes, which really stopped them facing their own issues. The Jews looked down on the Gentiles because they didn't follow the, uh, the kind of Old Testament laws. 
So the Jews look down on the non-Jews, which the Bible calls Gentiles. And the Gentiles, they look down on the Jews because they did follow the Old Testament law. And this created a lot of conflict. So Paul's letter to the Romans is really put there to address this disunity. So how does Paul address it? He goes right back to the start, not just the start of the church, but the start of all time. And he talks about, really, he goes back to the Garden of Eden. He goes back to, to what went wrong with humankind. And we see this in Romans 1, verse 23. And instead of worshipping the glorious ever-living God, they worshipped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. And so Paul says, look, this, it all went wrong when, when, you, when humans started to kind of think that they could worship animals. They, they kind of didn't really see who God was. They lost sight of that, and they were looking to other things to fulfill them. And then in Romans 2, he says, you may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad. You have no excuse. When you say the wicked should be punished, you're condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. So Paul's kind of saying, like, to be honest, guys, we've all done it. We've all lost sight of who God is. We've all not put him first in our lives. We've all worshipped other things other than God. And that's where the trouble starts. So Paul's letter to the Romans, he starts there. And through the book, he communicates five key things. And I'd like to share those with us today. So Paul's first point is we're all the same. We're all the same. We all have the same history. We all come from Adam and Eve. We've all put other things first. We've all got the same heart. We're all pretty selfish. We all have the same problem. We've tried, right? We tried to be good, but we fail. I remember when I first met Holly, I thought I was, I thought I was pretty good. I thought I was doing her a favor, but along the line I realized, and this was especially evident when I had kids, that I was falling short of the person I wanted to be. 
I really wanted to be a good dad. I really wanted to be amazing. But I came to terms with this idea that if I, I guess I had to face at that period in my life that if I couldn't even live up to my own expectations of myself, there was no way I could live up to God's expectations for me. And we're all the same. We're all the same. We can't live up to our own expectations. How the heck can we live up to God's? We're broken. We're dirty. That's Paul's first point. Is we're the same. But thank goodness Paul doesn't leave it there. Because his second point is there is an answer. There is an answer. Jesus is the answer. Romans 3 verse 21 says this. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him. Without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. And He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People, us, are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's based on faith. So we are not made right with God. Uh, so, so we are made, sorry, we are made right with God through faith and not obeying the law. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of Gentiles? Of course he is. He is only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. What great news! So Paul says we're all the same. We're all broken. We're all stuffed up. 
We're all dirty. We're all unclean. But Jesus is the answer. And if we believe and put our faith in him, we are made right with God. Amazing. Best news you've heard today. Does this fix everything? Does this fix everything and solve all our problems? Well, yes. And kind of. Paul explains that there's still a battle between a spirit and flesh. That even though we're made right with God, we still struggle in ourselves with our imperfection. This is what he says in Romans 7.21. I have discovered this principle in life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. Because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. I am a slave to sin. Who's experienced that? Probably many of us here. I've experienced that. This struggle. that I want to be good and I want to please God and I want to live out my life in the way that honors him but I don't and I stuff up and I make mistakes again and again and if Paul found this well surely we're going to find this but what's the answer a few years ago I um I went I think it might have been Ian Eckerman's birthday and uh, some of you who know Ian Eckerman he loves uh, shotguns, and he <laughs> and he loves uh, shooting uh, poor little ducks and and eating them, and uh, he loves uh, shooting clay pigeons, which are a pretend thing. Anyway, we went to his house, we went to his farm, and and he had this machine that flicks the the clay pigeons up in the air and. And, it, and we were all lined up, and I was a bit nervous because I'd never done it before. And he passed me the shotgun, and he, and he coached me through some things. And he, showed, he taught me, and he said, look, as it kind of comes up, you know, you've got to aim here. And, you know, this is how you've got to hold the shotgun and, you know, put your cheek up next to it. And, and he coached me through, and he said, you know, when you say pull, It'll, we'll, we'll let it go and it'll fly and then you can shoot it. Okay, so I said, pull! And, it, and it, I swung the shotgun around and I hit it. Thank you. Thank you. I hit it and it exploded into a pile of dust. And I thought, this is great. I'm fantastic at this. And then, uh, and, then he, and then we did it again and I hit it. And I did it again and I hit it. Four out of four. Didn't miss. Fantastic. 
I'm born for this. Anyway, that was great. It was a great experience. And And I walked away thinking, you know, I'm pretty good. Anyway, a few years later, Craig Burgermeister had a birthday party. And he bought a shotgun and one of them flingy things. And, uh, and we went round to his house and, uh, you know, we, we sat there and I, I thought, I know how to do this. Anyway, he, um, he, I said, pull, and the bird flipped up in the air, the, the clay pigeon, and I pulled the trigger and I missed. I thought, this is weird. I thought I was good at this. And then, and then he did it again and I missed a second time. And he did it again and I missed another time. And finally, I think after about five or six shots, I hit one. Probably more out of fluke than anything. But I realized something. I wasn't that good. The reason I hit the the other ones was because of Ian. He was telling me how to do it. He was leading me and guiding me and showing me the way of how to hit them. He was directing me. He was showing me how to hold the shotgun. He was giving me all the tips and tricks. He was guiding me to be better than I was on my own. So Paul's third point that he brings into Romans in Romans 8.13 is he says, this is third, Paul's third point. The Holy Spirit transforms us when we let him lead. The Holy Spirit transforms us. This is the answer to this to and fro life. This, I don't do what I want to do, but I do what I want to do, but I don't do what God wants to do. Oh, wretched, miserable man am I. This is the answer. Here we go, uh, Romans 8, 13. For all who are led by the Holy Spirit are the children of God. So you have not received a spirit that leads you, that, that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba Father. He says we have to be led by the Spirit. Led by the Spirit. I think we like to lead ourselves. I like to lead myself. I, I, think, I think that's my big problem, to be honest. I think that's my big problem with my Christian walk is that I kind of like to lead myself. Honestly, do you, I think that on, on one level or on some levels, I'd prefer to uh, struggle and strive and, and have a, a foot forward and a foot back and kind of scrape myself through to a point where I get to the end. I kind of think I'd actually prefer that than accept defeat and realize I need a guide. That's, that's who I am. That's how I approach life. I tend to be way too independent. 
I'm happy to struggle, but I resist being led. It's not Paul, Paul saying, be led by the Holy Spirit. And don't get me wrong, God doesn't need us to follow him. He's not insecure. God's saying, be led by the Holy Spirit, not because he thinks, oh, you know, I really need a few followers. That would really make me feel good. No. God wants us to follow him. He wants us to be led by the Holy Spirit because we're terrible at leading ourselves. We don't really have a capacity to do that well. God wants us to be led by him because it's better for us. He wants us to admit the truth. I'm a bad leader of myself. I think as Christians, we're much better. I think we find it much easier to repent of our unrighteousness, our mistakes, than we are at repenting of self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is really admitting that we don't know what we're doing. Admitting that we need God in our lives. Admitting that we're worse than we think. Who finds that? Heaps easier to kind of get up at the start of the day and, and get going and then realize you've stuffed up and say, Oh, sorry, God. Who finds that heaps easier than, than getting up at the start of the day and saying, God, I need you to lead me today. Because I know as soon as I get out of bed, if I do what I want to do, there's going to be trouble. So Paul's third point is to be led, not by yourself, by the Holy Spirit. Paul's, uh, Paul's fourth point is sacrificially love people like Jesus loved you. Romans 12.15 says this, Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what's wrong, hold tightly to what's good, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honouring each other. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those that weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. So now we start to see that, that Paul's got the foundation down. He, he says, you know, you, you've stuffed up. The answer is Jesus Christ. Be led by the Holy Spirit. Now he starts to practically unpack it, and he says, love. Don't just love, but love like I loved you. Love sacrificially. He says, weep with those that weep. Laugh with those that laugh. I was... um watching a YouTube video the other day, and uh, it's from one of my favorite dudes called Dr. Jordan Peterson. 
And he said, he said, I'll tell you something. How you tell who your real friends are. He said, I'll tell you how you, how, how you tell who your real friends are. He said, you can tell your real friends that if you tell them bad news, they listen. And if you tell them good news, they'll celebrate with you. That if you tell someone bad news and they listen and they care, and if you tell them good news, they celebrate, that's a real friend. That's what Paul's saying here. Laugh with those that laugh. Weep with those that weep. And probably 50% 50 of you now are, are thinking, going through your friends. Oh, they fail. <laughs> oh, 50% of you are probably thinking that. The other half of you is probably thinking, oh, what do I do? If someone tells me good news, do I feel jealous? Or do I celebrate with them? Do I, do I listen? Oh. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to do what God is calling us to do. It's challenging. But we can all grow to be more loving but the point really of this is that Jesus, he is the ultimate friend, right? He is the one that is always with us, that always cares when we have a hard day and is always willing to celebrate when we have something worth celebrating. And, and really the point of this is that the more we spend time with Jesus, the more we become like him. But that's Paul's challenge anyway. He's, he's challenging us to love, to be like Christ. And Paul's fifth point, the last point I want to share, and this is where he really zooms in on things, the specific issues that were causing division in the church. It's this. He says this. He says, give grace. Give the same grace God gave you. Give the same grace that God gave you. He zooms in on the issue. He breaks down two main issues which were dividing the church. There was arguments on what food they should eat that would please God and what day of the week they should worship to please God. Now, both groups thought they were right and both groups were really doing these things to please God. But they both also thought that they were more spiritual and a little bit better than the others because of their revelation or the way they thought that they should be doing things. They're like, well, you know, these other guys, we're the real Christians. And God likes us a little bit more because we know how to worship him we know what day to worship him on we know what kind of food that he really wants us to eat and so it was creating division and so this is what he says in romans 14 1 to 6 to this issue except other believers who are weak in faith 
And don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. Those who eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand stand or fall, and with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honour him. Those who eat any kind of food do so to honour the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. Romans 14.12 says, Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. And 19 says, So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it's wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ accepted you so that God will be given glory. So these were divisive church issues. Both were doing it for the right motivation and both thought the other was not pleasing God by their behavior and everyone thought they were a little bit better. And we can do the same today. We can think we're a little bit better because of our theology or our worship, or our understanding of God or the Bible. And it robs the church now just like it did then. And it's important to address it. We can be divided by all kinds of issues. I put up a bit of a list. If you guys want to chuck up that, that list there. These are some divisive church issues that people argue about, speaking in tongues, baptism style, Calvinist theology, Armenian theology, raising hands, pray on your knees, eating meat, not eating meat, carrying a cross, tattoos, abstaining from alcohol, wearing a suit, carrying a Bible, worship loudly, worship quietly, dance in the spirit, wave flags, blow a goat horn, stained glass windows, big screen TVs, liturgies, hymns, end of days theologies, rapture, literal hell, 
refusing to go to church during COVID, refusing to shut the church during COVID, immunization or not immunization, wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. And there's so many people arguing about this stuff. This is the thing. If it's not in Romans 3, then it's not a salvation issue. It's a division issue. And it's a great opportunity for grace. Let's check out Romans 3 again. I'm just going to skip to the second paragraph. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. This is true for everyone who believes. No matter who we are, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice of sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life Shedding his blood. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's based on faith. Amen. Amen. A couple of um, years ago, I was here at church. I'm going to finish with this story. And I walked out into the uh, car park, and uh, as I um, as I saw someone signing their their kids in, I, I knew there'd been some conflict. And um, and I approached this person. And she turned to me and uh, she, she was angry. She was really angry at me. And um, she said, she said, you... She said, you weren't, I had a really bad week this week and you weren't there for me. You weren't there when I needed you. You said you'd call me and you didn't. And she said, you call yourself a pastor. You say you love people, but you don't. And I, I tried to explain to her. I said, look, I'm sorry I did. I actually did try to call you. I called you on a number of occasions. Did you see the missed calls? You said, you're a liar. You didn't do that. Anyway, 
she went into the, the kids' department and, and I came into church. And I stood at the front row there and I, uh, the music was playing. And I, um, I started to, to worship God. And, and I knew kind of that the right thing to do was to forgive. Because I kind of felt hurt that I'd been unfairly judged. Because I had tried. And so I, I stood there and I went through a process of forgiving. And I said, God, I just want to forgive this lady for, um, for saying those things. You know, I just I ask you to bless her and I, and I pray you forgive her. And, and I just expected that straight away I'd feel like a fat, you know, like gone and I'd, and I'd be able to step into God's presence and, and I'd feel his, his pleasure on me and I, I kind of raised my hand and I didn't feel anything. I was like, what, what's God? Like, am I doing this wrong? Usually God, like, you know, the drill God, like I, I stand here and I listen to the music, I put my hand up and I feel your closeness. But you, where are you? Like, what? What's going on? And I realized that he, he wanted to get my attention. And I said, I said, what's going on, God? Like, what do you want to show me? I've, I don't feel you're close to me. And he said, I want, I want to show you something, Mark. And like this, I remembered I had a picture of myself and I was down the back of the church and it was 2008. It was the day that things had been going pretty bad in our marriage, me and Holly, and things were breaking apart and there was a lot of issues. And on this particular day, I I was about to go to work and and Holly said, I'm not going to be here when you get home. I can't keep living like this. Goodbye. And God reminded me of that. And He reminded me of my response. Because I was down the back of the church because I didn't feel I could go to work. I was too upset. And my response was You call yourself God? God, I needed you this week. And where were you? You said you loved me. And you've utterly failed me. And God said, when you walked in here and you forgave that lady... You thought you were a little bit better than her. Yeah, you forgave her and you did the right thing and that's great and forgiveness is important, but you were a little bit self-righteous because you thought that you were actually better, but you know what? You're the same. And what she did to you, you did to me. And how it hurt you, it hurt me. 
this is the thing that Paul wants us to understand. He wants us to understand to be able to give grace, we have to receive grace. I had to realize that I needed God, that we're all the same. You can't give grace until you've received it. Would you like to stand? I feel like the Holy Spirit's been leading me this week to prepare your hearts for conviction. That just like I was convicted and shown that I needed God, that He actually was there for me. God wants to do a work in a number of people's hearts today. He wants to soften us. He wants us to be a Romans 14 church where we don't look down on others. We don't think we've got our act together a little bit more, how we maybe think we're a little bit more spiritual because we haven't made as big a mistakes. Or our worship style is a bit better than other churches or different or whatever. He wants us to be humble. He wants us to realize we need Him. Father, I pray, move Holy Spirit through this place. As we stand here, show us our need of You. Bring us back to the reason that we started following you in the first place. Remind us of our flaws and our broken nature. But also, Father, remind us of your grace that we might receive it in a fresh and mighty and flowing way that it would flow out on our lives, on each other in this church and not uh, create division but instead unity through the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, fall. Speak to people in Jesus' name. As we stand here together, shoulder to shoulder, I just just encourage you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Remind Him of things. Remind you of things, God. Remind you, God. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us this week. If you wish to connect with us, please send an email to info at life.house or come and see us at 170 Adelaide Road, Murray Bridge. And remember, the door is always open for you at Lifehouse. God's house, our home.